uh, I just want to share, it's Valentine's Day, it was just around the corner, and I've had a lot of debates this past week on love and the meaning of true love with my high school students, and it's really interesting what they come up with. But I want to turn to the most familiar passage when it comes to love in 1 Corinthians 13. And as I started working on this passage, I realized that I was trying to be a little too ambitious to try and put all this in into one sermon. So I had to pick and choose because there is a lot, there is so much in that one passage. So much about in this one passage. It's a familiar passage here and I'm just going to go through that passage and just for us just to relive what God's love is all about. Relive what God's love is all about. And I know many preachers, uh, and you've probably done this too, encourage, encourage people to try and put your name in instead of love when it comes to verses 4 through 7 especially. It says put your name in there, substitute your name in there, and then see if you measure up to God's standard of love. And so this morning as we read 1 Corinthians 13, and I want us to, uh, I'll read it, and then when we get to verse 4 through 7, I want us to try and do that again. Put our name in when it comes to love. 1 Corinthians chapter 17, uh, we have it on the screen too, so 13, what did I say 17 is for? 13, 1 Corinthians 17 is not in the Bible, Okay. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13. Anyway, I had a smarter mark. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 13. It talks about, I will show you the most excellent way. Please understand, these chapter divisions were much later. But the passage actually starts with just a little before that. He says, I will show you the most excellent way. And then he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And now let's try and put our name in there and let's read the next few verses up to verse 7. Just put our name in there. Instead of love, Sid is patient. Put your name in there and let's see how you measure up. Sid is patient. Sid is kind. Sid does not envy, Sid does not boast, Sid is not proud, Sid does not dishonor others, Sid does not, is not self-seeking, Sid is not easily angered, Sid keeps no record of wrongs, Sid does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, Sid always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I read that in my first person several times the last couple of days and I just had to spend a lot more time in prayer. Verse 8, it says, Love never fails. Love never fails. Now I've broken this part up. I'm just going to go through the first few verses mainly. Again, like I said, if I have to go through, it's, it's so powerful, this chapter. But the first few verses, he talks about the value of love in our lives. The value, what value does love have? And in the beginning, he talks about this in verse 1. He says that love is more important, basically implies that love is more valuable, more important than the spiritual gifts we have. Because he says, if I can speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is more important than the spiritual gifts. If you look at the structure of uh, chapter 13 and you read in the structure, he does it so well. And I'll, I'll point that out even in the structure itself, not just the words and the way he puts it together. And you'll see it anyway on the day of Pentecost. That was when the first gospel, Peter stood up after everything, Peter stood up and preached the most powerful sermon probably that they have ever heard before. And he preached to them because God gave them right there and then God gave them the gift 
of tongues right there. And they spoke the language which people around them spoke. The most powerful thing to have ever happened up till then. Beside the resurrection of course. And yet he says, Paul says, that powerful gift means nothing if you don't have love. If you can speak in every human language, every heavenly language, but don't know how, or don't have, don't know how, don't have love, you're missing the mark. A resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. And again, to understand that, you got to understand the first century where they had all these great temples and everything else. And in front of those temples, and you already know this, they had, some of you know this at least, they used to have a big gong in the front of the temple. And sometimes they used to have these bells in front of the temple. And as they walked up, it would always be at the top of the stairs. And so you walk up. Very often you have to walk up because they believe the gods lived up high. And so you've got to make the effort to go up. Thank God we don't have to go up. He came down to us, right? But for them, you always have to take these steps up into the temple and you get to the top there. Now you're trying to meet with God, but now you got to wake him up. That was the whole point. You have this big gong that you hit or the symbol that's there that you really have to go to wake that God up because now you're coming there to have and to meet with him. And so you got to wake him up before you pray. Otherwise, he's not going to listen to you. And he says that kind of understanding is so useless because you're trying to wake up a God that really isn't even there in the first place. You're just making a noise. And he says, that's the kind of understanding he says, if you can speak in tongues of angels and of men but don't have love, you're as good as just coming and just banging that, banging that symbol to wake up an imaginary God. Useless. Love is more important. You know, it's ridiculous when you go and you think about it. How much time and effort these people used to do to go up all the way and bang on something when it really doesn't even exist right now. And that's how ridiculous we are, our lives, if you don't have love. Number two, Paul says, love is more important than knowledge. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge but have not love, I am nothing. If I can understand and like you said all these mysteries and have all this knowledge. If I can understand everything there is to do with atomic whatever structures and whatever chemistry, whatever physics, whatever everything. If I can figure everything out, every kind of psychology, whatever, put all those ologies together. If I have that kind of understanding but if I don't have love, it means nothing. It really means nothing. It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting again. And I say this because people try and analyze. And you see, you try and read the newspaper, magazines. People are always trying to figure out why the world is going in the direction it is going. And very often they use the phrase a little more. If people were only educated, there wouldn't be so, there wouldn't be so much hatred. If people were only a little more educated, they won't be so bigoted. Of course, they use that word. The truth is that's not, education is not the answer. It's the love of God is the answer. That's what it is about. Because if I have all the education I need, but don't know how to love, it means nothing. Because knowledge puffs up. That's what it does. Knowledge puffs up. But love is what builds someone up, really. Knowledge is just that, thing on the top you know when you try and pour a nice glass of soda I mean a bottle or can of soda into that cup you see all that fizz on top that's what knowledge does basically it's not the real thing it's just nothing air hot air basically that's what knowledge is love is the main thing so he's saying simply the value of knowledge I mean value of love love is more important Is more valuable than knowledge. Number three, he says, love is more valuable than faith itself. And that kind of challenges me every time I read that. Because we always talk about that mustard seed sized faith. That can move a mountain. Tell this mountain to go and cast itself into the ocean. It will do that. But he says, if I don't have, if I have that kind of faith but do not know how to love, I have nothing. If I have faith that can move mountains, but I, but have not loved, love, I am nothing. 
all the faith that you have really adds up to nothing without the love of God in your heart. Without the love of God in your heart's faith. And we know this. This this particular verse always gets to me because it says without faith, it's not possible to please God. You know, faith is so essential to please God. Yet he says that faith really doesn't matter if you don't have love. So how much more the emphasis is on real, genuine love? Love. Love is more valuable. More valuable than the spiritual gifts. It's more valuable than just acquiring knowledge. It's more valuable than just uh, than faith that can move mountains. And fourthly, he says, love is more valuable or more important than generosity. Because if I give everything I have to the poor but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing if I do not have love. I can give up 100% of everything I have. We can give without love. We know that already. But if I do not have love, it means nothing. Always question, not question as much as challenge myself and check myself and check my motivation of every time I give. Do I give just for the sake of giving or do I give because I genuinely love? Because sometimes I get into a rut and I just know my bank balance and we have this automatic thing, you know, it just goes automatic, 10% just goes the tithe and everything else. And we just, we are so, you know, we just do that anyway. But do we do it when we realize that we really, we're doing this, yes, because 10% belongs to God regardless of what we want, right? But do we give with the heart of love? Do we really give with a heart of love? And that's what it, he's saying right here. Love is more valuable than, than giving everything. It's more valuable than giving everything. And right with that, he says, he says love is more valuable than any sacrifice you make too. Love is more valuable than any sacrifice. If I surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Sometimes we pride ourselves of being good givers and, you know, we give generously. Sometimes we pride ourselves of how much we've sacrificed for the Lord. And there are a lot of people who've sacrificed a lot of things for the Lord. But if you do not have love, it means nothing at the end of it. Man, that's challenging for you. If I surrender my body to the flames, sacrifice everything but have not love, I gain nothing. It's useless your sacrifice if you don't have love. If you don't have love. Simple, but it's just so powerful right there. It's more important, more valuable than spiritual gifts. It's more valuable than knowledge or gaining, acquiring knowledge. It's more important than faith that moves mountains. It's more important than just giving and being generous. It's more important than sacrificing or accomplishing so many things for the kingdom of God. Love is at the middle of it all. It's the beginning of everything. As we keep going in that second part, he talks about different characteristics of love. Different characteristics right here of love. Now, verse 4. And I want to just go through these again. It's Again, I'm not doing anything other than just read the Bible and explain it. It says the characteristics, and Paul kind of approaches this again in the structure. Uh, he approaches this. He starts with positives. Then he says what love is. Then he goes to what love is not, and then he goes back to what love is. And so he arranges, that's very, again, you got to remember, that's very, uh, what you call a chiastic, is, that's just the way they wrote in those days. You know, even the first few verses actually relate to what is at the ba- after verse 8 again. They just kind of overlap one another. He finishes the argument at the bottom. Anyway, let's go verse 4. It says, love is patient. Another translation simply says, love is long Suffering. Long suffering. The literal translation is long tempered. Long tempered. The temper has a long, it's a long time before it really rises as such. Denotes a long waiting time during which the waiter, the person waiting, refuses to give into anger. Refuses to give into anger. And we struggle with patience, but love is patient. Love is not in a hurry. Love is not in a hurry, but is ready when the opportunity arises. 
Love is not in a hurry. Love is slow to arouse resentment and patiently endures provocation, waiting for an opening to do its good work. I like that when I read that. Love is slow. Slow to arouse resentment. Patiently endures provocation, waiting for an opening to do its good work. I was reading a story on Abraham Lincoln and I've used this example before and how he had this person called Edwin Stanton who, who always called he, called, he referred to Lincoln as the original gorilla. He says, you don't have to go to Africa to see a gorilla. You find him in Springfield, Illinois. And Lincoln never responded to this guy, never ever got back or responded to this guy. And when Lincoln became president, he made him the secretary of war as such. But then at the end, you know, when Lincoln was killed and everything else, Stanton stood up with tears in his eyes and he says this, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Because Stanton's animosity had finally broken, was finally broken by Lincoln's long-suffering, non-retaliatory spirit. Because Lincoln's patience had finally won out. Love is patient same time it simply means love doesn't throw in the towel pretty easily love doesn't write off people pretty easy oh they can't change or they will never change love does not write off people like that let me say this though uh, we need to be wise with relationships too we need to be wise with relationships because it's always good to be patient but when it causes you stress that that affects you emotionally physically spiritually and it basically sucks the life out of you. It's time for you to take a step back and start praying. Love is patience. Seek wise counsel and take a step back. If that's what happens. Love is patient. Secondly, it says, love, verse 4, it says, love is patient, but love is kind. Love is kind. I know we say love is blind, but love is kind. The Greek here is talking about usefulness, actually. Graciousness and kindness is talking about being useful. It's something you do. It's kindness in action as such. You have to be, in order to be kind to someone, you have to be aware of who they are and where they are. You've got to really understand that real kindness cannot be blind because you cannot blindly be kind to someone you don't know. You can only be kind to someone who you know very well. It's easy to be kind to a stranger on the road, but it's hard to be kind to the person who rubs you the wrong way. But love is kind. Most psychologists will tell you that kindness, not harshness, is more likely to encourage good in another person. More likely, kindness is more likely to bring about change in someone's life than a harsh word. It takes a lot to love someone, to be kind to someone who's always negative, who's always, who's always complaining, always whining, always cussing, whatever. Always looking for a time to trip you up. And the Bible says be kind to them. In relationships also it says the truth is this and people will agree, psychologists, counselors, whatever. Kindness brings about change that the harshness of the truth won't. Kindness brings about more change. Active love, kindness. And the truth is we are not, we're not predisposed to kindness. We're not. It's something we've got to learn. We've got something to be deliberate about. One preacher said the kindness won't focus on the faults or shortcomings. This doesn't mean that you, that, sorry, this doesn't mean that it is blind to people's weaknesses and sins. But it sees beyond them, accepting people as they are, looking at their best qualities and wanting what's best for them. We really need to examine our response in, in the light of something like this, you know. It means being kind and patient, you know, with the person who's always, you know, when he calls you, you know you're going to spend half an hour with him because he's going to whine for that half an hour. Being kind to someone like that. Being kind to the person who, you know, you know they're going to come and complain about everything that's going on around them. Be kind to them. I don't know. It's really challenging. 
be kind. Love sees the faults. And I, I use this example because I, I remember hearing a long time back. Love sees people through a telescope, but it's the other way around. Because then you don't see the faults. The faults are all the way back. You know what I'm talking about? We watch it and we see it magnified sometimes. But love really sees it the other way around. The faults of people when it's far away. That's how we need to approach love. Truthfully speaking, but learn to be kind. Now he starts with what love is and then Paul moves on to what love is not. Verses 4 onwards again. It's like that two-sided coin. Love is not... First he said, love is patient, love is kind. Now he says, love does not envy. Love does not envy. Another version says, love is not jealous. Envy and jealousy is just that feeling, uh, that feeling, uh, that ill will towards someone else just because they got something you don't have. And he says, love does not do that. They got something that they, that they don't deserve and we deserve it a little more. That's envy and that's jealousy. But he says love does not do that. Envy tells us our natural tendency says that we deserve it more than them. But love rejoices in what they get. Real love is not in competition with others. Real love is not in competition with others. Because you got to realize whatever you do and you do to the best of your ability, there will always probably be someone else who does it faster, better, and who gets all the praise. But you can't get caught up in that game. Because love does not envy. Love does not envy. And really, if you think about it, and then I don't know how many of us have thought about it in this way. The reason, one of the reasons for the fall was envy. Adam and Eve wanted what God had and they didn't have. And God, I mean, the devil used that desire to have something they didn't have that God had. You know what I'm talking about? That was envy, basically. He did that. He used and exploited that feeling of, I want what they got or what God got and he exploited them. Same thing, Cain and Abel, what happened? He was jealous because Abel's was accepted, his wasn't. He ended up murdering his brother. Joseph and his brothers, what was the problem? Why did they sell him into slavery? Because they were jealous of the attention that Joseph got. Daniel, why was he thrown into the lion's den? Because they were jealous and envious of the attention that the king and gave and the prosperity that Daniel had. Nowhere, I'm telling you, nowhere does envy ever result in a good ending. All it does is ruin you, basically. Take you to a place, a dark place that you do not want to go. And I really appeal to you. I really urge you. And I tell people this all the time. As a person who loves God, please learn not to resent the blessings that God pours out on others. But rejoice in the blessings that God pours out on someone else. It's just our attitude. It's something we need to learn to rejoice. Even though we think we deserve it a little more and they don't deserve it. But learn to rejoice in the blessing that God pours out in someone else. And don't resent God's blessing when it's poured out there. Love is not envious. It goes on to say, love does not boast. It's talking about bragging right there. And the Greek actually, the picture is someone who just talks. is really talkative, but he's all he's talking about is himself. That's what bragging and boasting is all about. If you know someone who brags and boasts, you can tell directly that he loves himself more than anything else. Love does not boast. Love does not boast. Again, we need to be careful. And I, especially in a Christian setting, sometimes our testimonies become, uh, I don't know, brag, bragging, bragging money. I don't know. Sometimes our testimonies can just turn into a place where we brag about how good we are. Listen, this is the point. Whenever you share a testimony, make sure the focus is not on you. The focus still goes back to God. That's the ultimate reason we share a testimony. It's about what God has done. Not about how blessed I am really. And I am blessed. I'm not, you get what I'm trying to say. As long as the testimony doesn't take the focus of God, we're good. Don't let use a testimony just as a time to, you know, to tell people how, you know, you've got this, 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 this. And the second point, it just goes closely related to that. You know, Paul says, if I were to boast, what should I boast about? The cross of Christ. 
That's what he says. If I was one thing I should boast about, it's about the cross of Christ. That's what, it's the suffering of our Savior and how much his suffering means to me. Because he chose to, to pay that price. I will never stop bragging about what Christ has done for me. That's what it is all about. Love does not boast and closely related, uh, closely right after that he says love is humble. Love is not proud, just related together, does not boast, love is not proud. And I, I will be honest with you, almost every day I pray this prayer. I have, to, I have to remind myself time and time again that I am who I am because Jesus made me who I am. I am who I am because Jesus made me who I am. I am where I am because Jesus showed me and made me a way for me to get there. I did nothing to deserve it. I could never earn it. Yet he chose me to be an object of his love. And I've got to remind myself time and time again, lest I boast in my own ability. Love does not boast. Love does not, is not proud. I do not struggle with low self-esteem. I promise you that. But I know I would be nothing without God. I just know that. I would be nothing without his grace and his mercy in my life. Love does not boast. Love is humble. I've shared this before. My biggest fear is that I will lose my dependence on God. And I don't want to ever be in a spot like that before. Ever. Where I come to a place where I lose my dependence on God. And that's why I remind myself time and time again. Love does not boast. Love is, does, is not proud. Because honestly, at the end of it, you've got to always remember Christ's sacrifice. He paid that price. And how can we, I mean, I can never, I, I don't know how to explain this. I can never, when I think about the cross, I cannot be proud as such. All it does is bring me to my knees and say, thank you, God. When we reflect on cross, Christ hanging there on the cross, pierced for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. Everything that I did, the evil that I did, all my sins were laid upon him. And he's hanging there on the cross, bleeding with a crown of thorns around his head. How can I even brag about anything about me except his love for me? That's what love is all about. Even in marriage, love does not boast. Love does not boast in terms of don't rub it in someone else's face when you are right and they are wrong. I like what one someone said, if, and I found this, and I laughed when I read this. If you want your marriage to sizzle with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. How's <laughs> this good? If you want your marriage to sizzle, sizzle with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. Love is humble. Love is humble. <laughs> Love is humble. Love is not proud. The next one, it says, love does not dishonor others. Here, the word dishonor is more in terms of the actions, the way you live your life. It does not become, behave unbecomingly is really a literal translation. Because there's two ways of understanding this. And I think the, I mean, the, Paul touches on both of them. By my actions and my words, do I dishonor someone? Do I invariably, through my words, to my actions... It's more the idea of pulling someone down in someone else's esteem. You know, you talk and do things that pull someone else, pulls else down. But love does not dishonor people like that. It's not talking about, you know, because we don't go out directly and dishonor people in terms. We don't go out and do something bad to them. But what we're very good at is mocking them behind their backs, trying to tell people, hey, you know what they really are like so that their value, their opinion of that other person comes down. Love does not do that. Love does not dishonor people. It does not tear down people. Real love does not do that. Some people think that they have a right to expose people and show people who they really are like. But that's not the love the Bible talks about. Love does not seek to dishonor people. Real love will never ask others to prove their love by doing. And this is the other way. Real love will never ask someone to do something that dishonors them. If you really love me, do this. That is not real love. You do not have to prove your love by doing something that will dishonor you. 
if you love me, do this. I'm say, whenever I hear someone say and talk that, it's automatically a red flag for me. In a relationship, you need to think about that. Real love does not dishonor others. Connected to this, again, it says real love is not self-seeking. Not self-seeking. It does not seek its own. A tombstone in a village in England read this. Here lies a miser who lived for himself, cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where he is or how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. If you live a self-seeking life, that is not, that is self-love. That is not real love. Love is not selfish. Love does not manipulate people for your own advantage. Love is not self-seeking. Again, like I said, you can't ever put that, if you love me, then do this kind of thing. That's self-seeking. That's manipulating people. I love you if you do this. That's not real love. I pray that we will never be caught in a situation of doing that or someone expecting us to do something like that. Because that is not love. Love is never directed inwards really. Love is never directed inwards. Love is always focused outside. We need to love ourselves, yes. But if that's the only thing that goes on, then you're loving yourself a little too much. We need to have a healthy love for ourselves. We take care of ourselves because we love ourselves, because we're created in God's image. But that's not what it's all about. If that's all it is, then we're too much in love with ourselves. Love is never trying to manipulate people. It is not self-seeking. Someone said the heart is so consumed with its own interests. Sorry. The heart that is consumed with its own interests cannot show concern for the needs of others and the interests of others. When you're so caught up with yourselves, you will never have the eyes or the heart to reach out to people around you. You've got to learn to love. Real love goes against our natural inclination, instinct to put ourselves first. Please remember, real love always looks outside. Real love always looks outside because it seeks the highest good in others and for others too. Love is not self-seeking. Next one, love is not easily angered. Another translation says, love is not easily provoked. Provoked, and the Greek, the idea here is exasperated, really. Exasperated or irritated or touchy. Love is not easily driven to this irritation where you become so touchy when someone says something. Real love does not do that. I know very often we look at a bad temper as just a minor weakness, but if you think about it, the only, if you read Luke 15 and you read the story of the prodigal son, the only thing the Bible says about the older brother is what? When he saw all this happening, it says he got angry. And I often thought about how often we in our anger have kept the prodigals outside the church because we've not learned to control our anger. Because we deserve it. They don't deserve it. We get angry like that. We don't control our temper. Really, it, it, I have thought about it so often. How many prodigals have we kept out of the church by our attitude of anger and self-righteousness? The idea here is even-tempered. Even-tempered. Love is seen in a good attitude and temperament. Chuck Swindoll, he talks about it. The most significant decision I make each day is my choice of an attitude. When my attitudes are right, there is no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too large, no challenge too great for me. Just when my attitude is right. If we get, let me be honest, if we get touchy and irritable and get bent out of shape because somebody avoided me in church today, somebody didn't reply to my text by the, by, in an hour, you need to check to see if you really have love or you love yourself a little too much. Take a step back and pray. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. The Greek word here actually is a bookkeeping term where someone counts things up in a book, in a ledger as such. And so he keeps writing them down. And here it says love does not do that. But the word picture is not limited to just keeping accounts. It's also the intention is the desire to settle the score. It's not just keeping track, but the idea and the intention is there's going to be a time where I'm going to settle the score. But love does not do that. 
Real love does not do that. It does not keep tra- track of every time we are wrong. It does not keep track. We always have to remember. We always love to remember the wrong that someone did to us years ago. We forgive, but we don't forget. You know, and we bring it up time and time again, and we joke about it. We do this a lot, actually. We joke about it because we've not learned to let go totally. Yes, we've forgiven them, but we still bring it up. God forgives and forgets. That's what we need to do. Love keeps no track of wrong. And honestly, that's one of the biggest things we struggle with. It really is. Love does not hold bitter grudges or allow long-standing resentment against each other. Someone said, love forgives and removes the record of accountability for that offense. How often do we forgive people but we want them to be held accountable for what they did? That's a challenge right there because we want them to face the consequences of what they did. But that's God's, that's God's domain. That's up to God that they face whatever they have to face for the decisions they make. It's not my job there to make sure that they learn the lesson and face the consequences of their decisions. My job is just to love them. God is in control. And the reason we can forgive is because we know God's in control. He's going to take care of it. Love keeps no record wrong. And it says love does not delight in evil. Again, the Greek here is talking about evil against the standard of right, which is God. Love does not delight in evil. Love, another translation, and I like this because it hit me in a different way this time. Love is not entertained by evil. And it hit me a little because, you know, we don't go out and do evil or wickedness. But now I see so much stuff on TV and on the internet that glorifies evil and we are entertained by it. People in the church are entertained by it. They don't go out and do crazy stuff. But the, oh man, the plot and the storyline is so good. All that other junk I can excuse. That's entertained by evil. We need to really decide and try and not decide. Be deliberate and conscious about that. Love does not delight in evil. And the other side to this is even does not delight in evil when evil befalls the world. Now think about this. Sometimes we rejoice because they got what they deserve and we rejoice in that. But he's talking about not doing that here. We don't rejoice just because they fell into the trap that they set up. I love what one preacher says. Love mourns at sin and injustice no matter whose it is. Love does not pass along a juicy morsel of someone else's failure just because it tastes good. Someone else says, love does not promote a feeding frenzy around someone else's embarrassment or pain. Honestly, Paul has been contrasting all this while. You know what love is, what love is not. And then right at the end, he finishes with this. And I'll finish with this. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. If there is one thing we got to rejoice in, it is the truth of who God is, the truth of his word, and the truth that we are created in his image. And now that we've put our faith in him, we will also get to join and rule and reign with him in eternity. It, that's the truth. That's what we are to rejoice in. Not rejoice in the evil that falls on other people. Love rejoices in the truth. Not a selfish opinion of someone else. Love rejoices in the truth, not in the small truth that is there versus everything else. You just don't hold on to the small things that can throw you off. It rejoices in the whole truth. The whole truth. And I had to stop and ask myself again, connected to this, does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Do I rejoice when something goes wrong with somebody else because I think they deserve it? I I do that sometimes, I'll be honest. Because I think they deserve it. But when he challenges you like that, because the truth is, he says that, you know, love, in Peter he says what? Love covers a multitude of sin. Love tries to cover things up. Not trying to, it doesn't excuse sin. But it doesn't try and embarrass someone. Love. Love does not spread gossip. And those that love will not, will be actually be offended by gossip, I feel. 
If you genuinely love, you will be offended by love. Love always protects. And these four things go together. Love always protects. The literal meaning, the word picture is a roof right there. It's a covering. Love covers and protects like a roof covers a house and protects us from the storm. That's what love is. Again, we just read that in First Peter. It says, love covers a multitude of sins. And as soon as I read that whole point of protecting and covering, I could only think about Jesus. Because he covers and protected every single time someone got down to this lady's washing his feet and they're all getting onto her and he covers and protects her. Hey, let her be. What she is doing is for eternity. This woman who comes to him caught in adultery, he who has no sin casts the first stone. He covers, he protects. That's the idea. That's what love really does. Doesn't rejoice in exposing people. It covers them. Doesn't excuse sin because he said, go and sin no more. But it covers protects love covers and protects please don't misunderstand me when i say this because love doesn't mean passively just be a doormat where people can just step over you the whole time with their sin but at the same time please learn forgiveness leave room for forgiveness leave room for forgiveness and restoration too love protects the next one that goes and all these go together love always protects love always trust another translation says love believes all things and normally this is always given in terms with God but this is one of the few times it talks about trust in terms of one another it talks about trusting one another belief is not gullible trust is not gullible but it simply is expecting people to be true to who they are love trust it's not suspicious or cynical it's better to trust and be wrong than to live in suspicion and be wrong. Love believes in people. It sees the potential in people. Really, that's what it is. You trust people because you see the potential in people. Regardless of how miserable their lives are right now, you trust God that God can take broken pieces and use them for His glory. Not just in our lives, but in others too. That's why love trusts. Because they are not the object of our trust. Our trust ultimately lies in God. That God knows what he can do in their lives. That's why we don't give up. That's why we trust. Help us, Lord, and believe that when we see people. No matter how messed up their lives are. We got to see beyond their faults to see what God can do with their lives. Love always protects. Love always trusts. And then it says, love always hopes again all these are related together love always hopes real love does not despair because it sees the bright side in every situation and in every person love always hopes no matter how bad the circumstances love always hopes for the best it's not hoping in terms of i hope again we know love and talking about hope is the confidence we have it's the confidence we have in god it's the hope that we will never give up. The very next thing, that's what it talks about. When you hope, you don't give up. And it talks about love always perseveres. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's talking about enduring all things. No matter how bad, how hard the strain, it still perseveres. It endures. Always, it does not take time off. You see how they're related together because and the, these four are so neatly packed together. The reason we endure is because we know we got to protect. You talk about it and I love Animal Planet and those things. And you see how a mother protects her young. She endures the hardship from an oversized. And you talk about, we're talking about bears that come out after hibernation. These male bears are so territorial. They're trying to destroy everything. But this mother who is almost 300 pounds lighter fights and endures everything because she wants to protect. Love endures because love protects. Love endures because love trusts. She sees more than just what that person sees, a small little bear. She sees what that bear can become. It's the same thing with God. The reason we protect, the reason we trust, the reason we hope is because we can endure. We endure all these things because of that. It's all related together. The reason we hope, the reason we don't give up is because we hope. We don't give up because we hope. And that hope is confidence in God. Yes, amen. We love. 
love God, we love people. And when we love people, we don't give up on them. We don't give up on people. Love perseveres. Love always perseveres. Always hopes. Always trusts. Always protects. And then he says, because love never fails. Love never fails. No matter what's thrown at you, no matter how long you have to go through that stuff, no matter how bad it really gets, love never fails. The reason is because love is rooted in the character of God. That God never changes. Love never, never fails. Love never fails. But where there is prophecy, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Again, remember, he's connecting this to what he started with. It's a nice little circle that he makes right there. Started with the same thing there. And now he goes back. Love never fails. Everything else will stop. Everything else will cease. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Actually, we don't read it like this. But the honest truth is most scholars will agree. He's talking about the gifts right here. He's actually comparing the gifts to being childish as compared to love being what a mature Christian really does. I know it scares us a lot because we elevate gifts so much sometimes. And he's not taken away from the importance of them. But if you read this passage, he's trying to say, you want to grow up, okay? The gifts are good, but the mark of a mature man is love. That's what it really is to grow in Christ. To be more like Christ is to, be, or to grow in love. Enjoy. I mean, we enjoy each other and everything else. Because we've learned to love one another. Love is the mark of a mature Christian. Now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I will know fully. Even as I am fully known. We will never know the love of God. Till we get to see him face to face. The entirety of his love. Till we get to see him face to face. The point is this. And I'll wrap it down right here in this part. Gifts are temporary. They almost seems like he seems to say it's elementary. But love is what lasts forever. Love is what lasts forever. Bow your heads with me real quick again. Like I said, I've, it was just such a huge... I, I had 17 pages written down even before I even got to the last part. And I was like, man, I give up. Because there is so much when it comes to love. Please don't misunderstand me or misunderstand what Paul is saying about prophecy and tongues and all that we believe in that wholeheartedly he believes in that that's what builds the church up but he elevates love to higher than that if we have everything there is but don't have love it means nothing again church that's that's what we need to aim for that's what we need to aim towards in our walk with Christ, in our spiritual maturity and everything else. May we grow in the gifts and I want the gifts to multiply and and to see more and see the manifest and everything. I want to see that in our church. But greater than that is that I want to see the love of God that we have for Him and the love we have for others grow. Because that's what the Word itself says. May our desire be to love. Love never fails. Love never fails. Honestly, church, this kind of love goes totally against what the world even... The truth is the world has no clue what love is right now. They confuse love and lust as one same thing. But this love that he's talking about that is so practical, that is so hard, cannot come from our earthly selves, our fleshly self. It only comes when we have a relationship with God because he is the perfect revelation of what love is. 
besides god and a relationship with god we cannot cannot really love people if i speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It does not it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth love always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres because love never fails love never fails that's the measure church that's the measure of our spirituality Lord I pray oh God that as you pour out your spirit upon us and our families and in this church oh God and as the gifts of the spirit flow and manifest in this place Lord I pray for a greater outpouring of what love really is a greater outpouring oh God of your love in our hearts a great outpouring of god of love in our hearts for those around us lord i just pray oh god that even as we read your word oh god and just meditate on it oh lord i pray oh god that you will challenge us once again oh lord challenge us father to grow in love to be more like you God because you are you are love thank you father once again lord So I'll stand to the feet of this time.